I've been having these weird thoughts lately. Like, does any of this make sense? Or not? Welcome to Got It Memorized, a Kingdom Hearts recap podcast that succeeded at making sense of this mess before Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. Now we're just going to do it fucking again in one episode. Strap the yeah. fuck in. I'm joined as always by Joe. How are you, Joe? I'm great. I am a fucking mess of emotions this weekend. Uh, my name is Joe. Uh, Wheels didn't say their name, but that is Wheels over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a chance that this is the first and only episode of this podcast you listen to uh, because it is just the whole story of Kingdom Hearts and you don't got time to listen to fucking 18 months that we spent uh, preparing for this moment. But uh, that's kind of why we're here, <laughs> doing it all in one. Um, normally our show is funny. Yes. There's yeah, no time we, for that now. <laughs> we, we, we do normally make jokes um and and quite a few people do think they are funny uh, i said ziggy bar dust once if uh, you might not know who zigbar is at is this that point. really the highlight you're gonna pull it, no it's just the one i think of like if i were to go uh-huh. down a, like a list of my favorite moments i think like like you know i think back to like when we pretended to be jesse mccartney in the vocal that booth. was what i was gonna go yeah. to <laughs> uh ziggy bar dust literally everything we've ever said about tara is good um xehanort voice is is a lot of people's favorite Fuck, a lot of those words might have meant nothing to you, I'm sorry. We're going to cover Kingdom Hearts all in one episode, and when I say front to back, I mean in chronological order, so... Not as in not release order, as yes. in chronological story order, because mm-hmm. we did the full recap in release order, and we're switching it up. Plus, it might be a little easier... To see some uh, of the connective threads. Right, Kingdom Hearts is a franchise with a fraught timeline and so placing them all in order story chronologically might m- make some of those connections make a little more sense yeah so to do that we sat down to to write our, our notes for this episode and it very quickly turned into basically just a dissertation on the th- events in kingdom hearts and because of how lengthy it is we're actually just going to provide that to read um so there will be a link to that in the description show notes we'll probably tweet it as well but it's just going to be on the orange goes uh website somewhere uh the network that this is on now if you don't listen to the plugs and uh yeah i guess just before we dive in i wanted to you know thank the you know everyone who listens to the show for for being along for this ride um interacting with everyone on discord and twitter is like such a fucking highlight of doing this definitely people in the discord for helping me uh make sure I was saying things right in this script even um, because I was like, what do I need to talk about with back cover? I ended up talking about everything, but I wanted to make sure it was like understandable. Um, Cause that's like a thing that people don't know about a lot thing. Oh, and patrons. I don't know why I didn't say, uh, thank you to all of our patrons who have supported us up to this moment and will continue to. And I don't know. Also great. Thank you for getting us here. <laughs> um, yeah. Also I'm going to put timestamps in the show notes for when we get to each game. Um, because I think that'll be useful if we if you end up coming back to this. That's a good idea. Yeah, I just yeah, I want this to be as useful as possible. Normal disclaimer, we are two human beings yes. and this is quite a franchise so there is mm-hmm. possibility for error. Although, 
I think we did pretty well. I, I feel really confident about what we, we put yeah. together. We meant to record like, I don't know, five days ago and ended up keep pushing it back because there was actually so much to tackle and put together in one piece. Um, 30 pages. Thir- yeah, this this is 30 pages as I'm staring at it in, in Google Docs. Uh, it'll just probably just be a really long web page when you see it. With, with all that being said... Jokes end in three, two, one. You're, you're starting with the preface, so go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one last joke to fit in. <laughs> preface begins in three, two, one. Preface. These games are about Sora. I promise. Sora is the main character of Kingdom Hearts, but Kingdom Hearts has prequels. We'll talk about him more in a game called Birth by Sleep a little, but these games are designed to be taken in release order for a reason. They do, though, line up fine in chronological order. Things in the prequels are willfully confusing, as they're meant to be compared with what you might already know from other Kingdom Hearts games. So first, some quick world building to get it out of the way. There are these special swords, called Keyblades. They are shaped like big keys, and they have special powers, such as being great at defeating beings of darkness, particularly things called Heartless. Heartless are beings of pure darkness. Only Keyblades can break them up, so Keyblade wielders use them to protect light. There's also another type of Heartless we, granted, don't really get to see many examples of this early in the timeline, but if someone gives their heart over to darkness, or is forced to do so, or loses a battle with the darkness, they can turn into a Heartless themselves. Lastly, the source of all light is a force called Kingdom Hearts. It's represented by a big heart-shaped moon that can only be manifested under certain circumstances. So next up is going to be uh, Back Cover, Unchained Kai, and Union Cross all just kind of mixed together because they overlap a ton. So these games rely a lot on context of other games because they're the most recent thing, uh, despite being mostly disconnected from their time, setting, and characters. Also, Union Cross just straight up isn't done releasing updates yet, but this is what we're going into Kingdom Hearts 3 with. So that being said... The earliest thing in the timeline is Kingdom Hearts Back Cover, a companion movie to the Japanese exclusive PC game called Kai that was later remade as a mobile game called Unchained Kai, and that was later renamed Union Cross, which again is still releasing updates. Look, no one said this would be easy, but this might be the biggest thing to get out of the way up front. So, Back Cover takes place, all of this takes place uh, in a place called Daybreak Town in what is called the Age of Fairy Tales. It is relevant to say that the capital W world is one big world that has not been split into many worlds yet. Uh, and this movie immediately introduces seven characters. First, the Master of Masters who guides the other six and gives them each a role to play in some nebulous grand quest. His face is always obscured by the black cloak he's wearing and get used to seeing characters that are just black cloaks. He's a sarcastic asshole and it fucking rules. Uh, The Master of Masters, who I'm just going to refer to as Mom because it abbreviates to Mom, uh, wrote a book called The Book of Prophecies, which tells the future of what's going to happen. He was able to write it because he put one of his big blue eyes in a very gothic-looking keyblade that is to be carried until the end of time itself. Uh, And everything that keyblade will ever see mom can see at this point and it allows him to write the book foretelling what will happen the book existing is proof that the keyblade survives on and sees everything so the first thing he does on back cover is tell all of this to his apprentice lushu who also wears a black cloak you don't see his face either he takes the keyblade which is called no name and a mystery black box and leaves we'll see the keyblade a lot later on in the story lushu is also told to give it to his apprentice and pass it on and so on and so forth and then lushu leaves to watch 
what happens forever. Uh, Lushu doesn't get a copy of the Book of Prophecies because of potential paradoxes, of course. So the Master of Masters' other five apprentices are called the Foretellers. They each lead a union of Keyblade wielders and guide those wielders on missions to defeat the Heartless and collect the light. All the Foretellers wear animal masks, and these idiots are given books of prophecies uh, and are each given different roles that only they know about on top of being union leaders. Uh, the ending of the book predicts an event called the Keyblade War, where all of the Keyblade wielders fight over Kingdom Hearts, which makes Kingdom Hearts show up as that big moon, uh, and also all the wielders die. But because it's in the book, presumably that's unavoidable. So the Master makes each Keyblade wielder a spirit, which is called Chirithi, and if that gets tainted by the darkness or the wielder does, they can become nightmares, which are bad spirits. These are different type of creatures called Dream Eaters. It doesn't say that in back cover, but we know it from Dream Drop Distance, um, and they're also here. Uh, so Ira, the union leader wearing the unicorn mask, is in charge of all the other union leaders, um, but he's terrible at that job. Uh, another foreteller, Gula, with the leopard mask, is given a page not in the other books, and it says that there is a traitor among them. He's supposed to figure out who. He doesn't. Uh, they all fight anyway, oh. as darkness becomes stronger in Daybreak Town, and they don't trust each other and can't communicate worth a damn. Master of Masters says, may your heart be your guiding key to each of them like six times, uh, which basically just means they all trust their intuition above anything else, and at least some really impulsive fights. The most important foreteller is named Ava, and she has the fox mask. She's the most important because because her secret role was to collect exceptional Keyblade wielders and tell them not to fight in the war so they live on after. This group of kids is called the Dandelions. She's also given a list of five special Dandelions to be new union leaders after the war, uh, and only one of these gets the Book of Prophecies. We don't know who it is. She also writes a new rule book on how these kids should be union leaders, and each of the five get one. During this part of the story, the player character in Unchained befriends a kid named Ephemer, who has white hair. He's really curious about the Book of Prophecy. Specifically, he's curious about one of its powers, which allows it to make holograms of Disney worlds that the wielders go into to collect light. This is just happening in the game. And they investigate this a little before Ephemer just fucking disappears. Also, some girl named Strelitzia... <laughs> Some girl named Strelitzia stalks the player for a while. We'll learn her name later. Uh, and she seems kind of interesting, I guess, but she never talks to the player. We see Ava talk to Strelitzia and Ephemer separately and asks each of them to be the new union leaders after the war. Strelitzia, after being told this, wants the player to survive and join the Dandelions. When she's looking for the player character, she gets killed by some mystery figure off screen and her rulebook is stolen. Rip. Since Ava uh, recruited all the union leaders separately, the mystery figure is then able to pose as a union leader with the book without the others knowing. The player also befriends a girl named Scold, who also ends up being one of those union leaders later. When Ava gives Ephemer the rulebook and rundown, she sends him off to prepare a new world based on the one that the Dandelions are currently in, but that's going to end after the war. So Ephemer goes and does that. Gula, and with the leopard mask, if you forgot, tells the player in Skull that the traitor is the one who will misread the truth and will cause the Keyblade War to start by ringing a bell. Immediately after he says that, a bell rings uh, because Ava finds Lushu, gets mad at him for, for not helping in everyone's discourse, and she attacks him and a bell rings on the foreteller's tower. Lushu being the apprentice of the Master of Masters who was just given the Keyblade and not the Book of Prophecies, the one who was instructed to just watch. Yes, so that's, yeah, he's supposed to just watch. Um, Lushu is fine, but the Keyblade War has begun. Everyone fights and dies. The player is saved from near death by Ephemer and Scald uh, because he didn't join the, the Dandelions. 
uh, initially. In this new world, the player wakes up and goes back to doing missions like nothing happened because they don't remember anything happening. We later learn that Chirithis can remove memories from their wielders when they sleep. Again, these are called Dream Eaters. So, the new Union leaders uh, now meet up in the Keyblade Graveyard, which is left over after the war. Ephemer and Skuld are the first two to show up, and they're joined by a boy with blonde hair named Ventus, who says, call me Vin. Then some idiot in a fedora named Brain shows up, and lastly, a tall fellow with pink hair named Lorium. Uh, one of these people is an imposter who killed Strelitzia, but we don't know who, we just know it's not Ephemer. We also don't know who has a Book of Prophecies, but one is floating around with one of these people. They all claim to be union leaders. Yes. So as they start to be union leaders, they first make new spirits for the wielders. The rulebook states that they're supposed to make them fight for sport for some reason. Uh, and in this scene, Ephemer reveals that uh, it'll be fine because there is a data backup of the world and all the wielders. This sounds really weird if you haven't played the rest of the games, but it's, uh, it's kind of not weird by this point. Um, he uses the data so they can simulate the fights and follow the rules, but not make people actually fight each other. Uh, this also reveals that the Disney worlds that the wielders are going to after the war are also data. Why not? The Book of Prophecies can't project worlds without the Master of Masters in this world, so they make do with the data worlds. That detail about the Master of Masters will be important if you're still um, interested in Kingdom Hearts 3 after hearing that. Uh, the Union Leaders... Also notice that the darkness feels different in this new world, almost as if it has a personality of its own. Oof, this next scene. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, that wasn't enough. This next scene is going to sound... This game is about Disney, right? Uh, a little bit. There's Disney worlds. There's Disney characters. This next scene is going to sound extremely buck wild if you're not already strapped in. We see Maleficent, you know, the Disney character. She's disappointed that she lost to Prince Charming and the player. Uh, in some quests that we're not going to talk about, wishing that she could change the end of her story. Uh, Maleficent will become a major antagonist to Sora later on in the timeline, uh, and the Maleficent we see now is actually from that future that Sora faces, if you can believe it. Uh, she has traveled back in time to attempt to take over more worlds, um, but in this data world, the events are set in stone. She's told that because she's confronted by a literal being of darkness calling itself the darkness of this world, and it explains that the world is locked. The darkness also knows that she's traveling back in time to this place to collect hearts of pure light. She was told to do this by a dude named Xehanort. We'll meet him later. The way time travel works in Kingdom Hearts is, uh, this is such a weird thing to say at the beginning of the timeline. Uh, time travel works in Kingdom Hearts if you split your heart and your body from each other. Her heart is split later in story events, hence why she's here, but she's told she can't do anything in this data world and has to leave, uh, and there is a way for her to do that, but that's the last we see of her. Lorium uses the data, uh, if you remember Lorium, the pink-haired union leader that I mentioned once, he uses the data of the wielders that's backed up to try and find his sister, who we find out is Strelitzia, the union leader who was murdered from before. Whoops. <clears throat> he meets someone that Strelitzia knew, a blonde girl named Elrina. Uh, she used to fight with her in like a party or whatever, but hasn't seen her in a long time. Remembers that she used to stalk some quiet kid. Elrina goes looking that we don't see any more of, and Lorium takes this knowledge back to the other union leaders and is able to figure out the quiet kid is the player. And that is all we have of back cover so far. So now we're going to learn about the next game in the timeline, which is Birth by Sleep. Take it away, wheels. An undisclosed time after the Keyblade War, the capital W world has been split into many smaller, lowercase w, worlds. 
there aren't nearly as many Keyblade wielders as there used to be, and fairy tales tell the story that after the destruction of the capital W world in the Keyblade War, some light lived on in the hearts of children. That light grew into little oasises of light in the darkness, which in turn grew into the many lowercase worlds. Some point later, two students named Xehanort and Ericus trained to graduate from Keyblade Wielder to Keyblade Master. We don't know who Xehanort or Ericus's master was, but Xehanort eventually gets his hands on the no-name Keyblade, so it's possible this is part of the Master of Masters, Telushu, and so on line of Keyblade succession. They both become Keyblade Masters, but only one of them can be picked to watch over the Land of Departure, the headquarters and training grounds for Keyblade wielders, essentially. Ericus lands that gig, so Xehanort, disappointed, becomes a roaming Keyblade Master studying the lowercase w worlds. In this universe, that's called a Seeker. They call me the Seeker. <laughs> Xehanort becomes fixated on the idea that there's too much light in the universe, and that a balance between light and dark needs to be established. It's too bright. I need shades. <laughs> I'm sorry. Overexposed. <laughs> God. You don't want to shoot with an ISO over 1,000. <laughs> Please keep talking about birth by sleep. Okay, sorry. His... <laughs> His best shot at achieving that balance between light and dark is by summoning Kingdom Hearts again and causing the universe to start from scratch again. There are two ways to do that. One is by gathering the seven princesses of heart, seven mostly Disney characters across different worlds that have pure hearts. By exploiting their heart energy, a special Keyblade called the Keyblade of Hearts can reveal and unlock Kingdom Hearts. Then, using Kingdom Hearts, Xehanort would destroy the world and make it anew. That's capital W world. The other way is by summoning a different special keyblade called the Keyblade. Okay. <laughs> no, you, you didn't hear incorrectly. They're both pronounced the same way. So for simplicity, I'll pronounce the special one as Keyblade. Oh, not it's a X-Blade, which is it's the letter X, the Greek symbol. <laughs> it's funnier this way. Sure. It's a weapon of metaphysical importance, after which all Keyblades are a mere artificial imitation. Summoning the Keyblade will start another Keyblade War and summon Kingdom Hearts again, which then destroys the capital W world like last time. There's a lot of discrepancy in fan discussion about how this works, but I think the in-game book Xehanort's Report 7 makes a pretty solid case for it working the way I just described. Because it can't be that simple, you can actually summon the Keyblade in a few different ways. The ways we know of are... Number one, fulfill a prophecy that speaks of a battle between seven lights and 13 darknesses. We learn about this method much later from a villainous monologue in a game called Dream Drop Distance. Number two, you can force combat between two equally matched individuals, one of pure light and one of pure darkness. That last one is the way Xehanort opts to go about it, manifesting the Keyblade by forcing perfectly matched combat between two hearts one of pure light and one of pure darkness. There are a lot of blank spaces in the timeline here, but at some point, Xehanort, who looks like the oldest man alive, trains Ventus, the union leader who told us all to call him Ven. It's unclear how Ven went from one of the five union leaders in the new world that Ephemer made to just some dude's apprentice that still looks like a teenager. But here we are. Hopefully Kingdom Hearts 3 or some future game will give us some insight. Xehanort consistently pushes Ven past his limits, and is consistently disappointed by Ven's performance. After one final disappointment, Xehanort uses his Keyblade, no name, to extract out all the darkness within Ven's heart and mold it into its own separate person, whom he names Venetus. 
This is too much trauma for Ven's light, which is the majority of his heart, to take. And he's about to fade away when a, quote, brand new heart takes pity on and helps to heal Ven. We'll later learn that this heart will grow up to be Sora, the main character of the franchise. Vanitas, the aforementioned being created out of Ven's darkness, looks like Sora as a weird byproduct of the connection between Ven and Sora that's formed right here. While Sora's heart works to repair Ven's, Ven goes into a coma, and Xehanort gives up on him, figuring he's at least got his heart of pure darkness in the form of Vanitas. Xehanort plans on ditching Ventus on Xehanort's homeworld, Destiny Islands, before continuing his quest to form the Keyblade. Much to Xehanort's surprise, Ven's still unconscious body summons a Keyblade. Xehanort, seeing this as an opportunity, sends a now-conscious but amnesia-suffering Ventus off to live with Xehanort's old schoolmate, Ericus, now the keeper of the Land of Departure, the Keyblade wielder home base we mentioned before. Secretly, Xehanort plans to return once Ventus has fully recovered so he can pit Vanitas and Ventus against each other to form the Keyblade. An amnesia-suffering Ventus trains under Ericus along with two pupils, Terra and Aqua, and the three become inseparable. Ventus particularly bonds with Terra, whom he idolizes. Fast forward to a few years later, and Xehanort returns on the day of Terra and Aqua's graduation exam, called the Mark of Mastery exam. Both pupils perform well, but only Aqua passes, as Terra failed to keep the darkness in check during his test. Little does he know, Xehanort used his powers to bring out Terra's darkness. Shortly after, Xehanort vanishes, and Master Ericus speaks with a former master named Yensid, you know, from Disney, <laughs> through Dimension Phone. Yensid says that a bunch of creatures made of negative energy have started appearing across all worlds. Those are called Unversed. Plus, Xehanort up and vanished. Ericus instructs Terra and Aqua to investigate both curiosities. Vanitas shows up in Ventus's room. Ven doesn't remember him because of amnesia, and Vanitas lies to Ven about why Terra is leaving, and implies that Ven won't ever see Terra again unless he disobeys the Master by leaving the Land of Departure, something the Master has explicitly forbidden. Ventus runs after Terra, and so Terra, Aqua, and Ventus have all left home. They each individually go from Disney World to Disney World. Not the theme park. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of them kind of is, but... It's fair. They travel by turning their Keyblades into armor and spaceships. I don't know. Terra meets Maleficent. In her perception of time, this is way, way before she travels back in time when we saw her in Unchained. We'll get there near the end. For now, she's just learned from a chat with Xehanort about Keyblades and the Princesses of Heart. She manipulates Terra into stealing Princess Aurora's heart, and he realizes the error of his ways a moment too late. Ventus looks for Terra, and Aqua is tasked by the Master to bring back Ventus and to make sure Terra doesn't fall to the darkness. Terra continues to blunder his way into ruining Disney characters' lives. <laughs> uh, Ventus gets in a fight with Vanitas, but Ventus isn't strong enough yet for their fight to form the Keyblade. Terra finds Xehanort, who hires a ne'er-do-well named Brake to pretend to kidnap Xehanort, just so Terra can come to the rescue and build a big ego feeling like a hero. Xehanort uses flattery to turn Terra against Ericus and encourages Terra to use the darkness. Aqua meets a girl named Kyrie in a world called Radiant Garden, who will be important later, and inadvertently passes the ability to use the Keyblade to her. Along the way, Aqua and Ventus meet Mickey Mouse, but Terra never does. They all meet up on Radiant Garden, that world I just mentioned. But the reunion is short-lived, when Ven and Terra figure out that Aqua was going to rat on them to Ericus. So everyone leaves individually very mad. At various points, 
some of them meet a guy named Ansem the Wise here in Radiant Garden, who's like the philosopher king of Radiant Garden. Ventus meets two kids named Lee and Isa, who are good friends, and they have a friendly interaction with Ventus. It's not plot important, but these two and their friendship will return, albeit in a very different form. They go through some more Disney worlds, this time angrier, <laughs> and Terra and Aqua arrive at a world called Destiny Islands, each separately. This is the world Xehanort is from, uh, where he tried to ditch Ventus before Ven lost his memory. There, the two, again separately, meet two boys, Riku and Sora. Everyone likes these boys. They're great. Such good boys. I love these boys. Sora is the kid who, as a brand new heart, saved Ventus when Ven was split in two. Terra likes the boys so much that he figures he'll give Riku the ability to wield a Keyblade, something Riku won't really understand or be able to manifest for years. Terra tells Riku that the Keyblade should be used to give strength to protect what matters. Ventus encounters Xehanort, who tells Ven about how, if he and Vanitas clash, they'll form the Keyblade. He also says that Ericus never let Ventus leave the land of departure. Ericus was afraid that Ventus would accidentally forge the Keyblade. Ventus leaves to speak with Ericus. Shortly after, Terra meets Xehanort, who tells him, hey, your adopted father Ericus is going to kill your best friend Ventus. So Terra leaves and arrives to find that Ericus intends to do just that, in order to prevent the Keyblade from forming. Terra uses the darkness to create a portal to another world, dust in the islands, and throws Ventus in there for safety. Terra defeats Ericus, and in the final moments, Xehanort arrives. Ericus is killed, and it's left ambiguous as to whether Terra or Xehanort landed the killing blow. Xehanort uses spooky magic powers to corrupt the Land of Departure, and says he's going to kill Aqua and Ventus at the Keyblade Graveyard, where the Keyblade War was fought. Meanwhile, on Destiny Islands, Vanitas also tells Ventus that he's going to kill Terra and Aqua at the Keyblade Graveyard. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Yen Sid tells Aqua, hey, bad guys are going to kill your friends at the Keyblade Graveyard. Vanitas attacks Ventus, and they fuse into one body that Vanitas takes control over, and they form the Keyblade. Ventus learns that the unversed all spawn from Vanitas' negative emotions. Kingdom Hearts appears in the sky. Brag, Xehanort's ne'er-do-well lackey from before, is there and he fights Aqua because he's still working for Xehanort. Ventus fights Vanitas from within his own mind and manages to render the Keyblade briefly inoperative. Aqua takes this chance and defeats Vanitas. Ventus reappears, unconscious, so Aqua takes him to the Land of Departure for safekeeping, because Ericus once told her that if he dies and Darkness takes over the Land of Departure, which it has, she can use his Keyblade on a secret keyhole to transform the world into a labyrinth, so its light will remain hidden. She does just that, and hides Ventus in a room that will come to be called the Chamber of Waking. Remember Sora, the kid on Destiny Islands and the kid who saved Ven's heart before? Sora's heart is so pure and good and joyful that it senses Ven's heart, which is now connected to his own, is in trouble. It takes care of Ven's heart while Ven's body recovers in the Chamber of Waking. So now Ventus's heart is just in Sora's. Remember that. Back at the Keyblade Graveyard, Terra fights Xehanort, but Terra is weakened enough for Xehanort to use his spooky powers that allow him to take over Terra's body so he can regain his youth and not be a walking corpse. That's a joke about how old Xehanort is. He's not actually a walking corpse. <laughs> Terra's heart and body succumb, but his will lives on in the form of an empty version of Terra's Keyblade armor, the stuff that rides the Keyblade spaceship I mentioned earlier. This lingering will of Terra fights Xehanort within his own heart, and in combination with Aqua's defeat of Vanitas, briefly subdues the threat of evil. Kingdom Hearts fades away. Having finished hiding Ven in a safe place, 
Aqua goes to find Terra, whose still-possessed self winds up on Radiant Garden. When she gets there, Terra and Xehanort are fighting over control of their heart and body, and Xehanort is mostly winning. Xehanort, in Terra's body, summons a heartless-like guardian with whom he attacks Aqua, but she defeats both. The shared body begins to fall into darkness, but Aqua dives in after in order to save the body she knows still has some of Terra left in it. She sends the body back to the Realm of Light, but is unable to save herself. She falls into darkness. There's a secret ending movie to Birth by Sleep entitled Blank Points. This movie covers a lot of different time periods, so we've kind of split it up into where it belongs in the timeline. This is the first part of the Blank Points secret ending. Xehanort wakes up back in Radiant Garden in full control of Terra's body, but this Xehanort, many call him Terranort or Apprentice Xehanort in the fandom, does not have his memory. He is discovered by Anson the Wise, that philosopher king of Radiant Garden I mentioned before, and Anson the Wise's apprentices, Brag being one of them. Brag, being Xehanort's former ne'er-do-well lackey, knows what's up, and Anson the Wise is a little suspicious but doesn't do shit about it. Aqua goes deeper into the Dark Realm, only to find that three of the Disney worlds she visited, uh, notably ones that house princesses of heart, have fallen into darkness. That's the end of this first part of the Blank Points movie. Now we're going to go to a different side game that's connected with Birth by Sleep, which is Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep 0.2, A Fragmentary Passage. That's not a joke. <laughs> this is a mini-sized <laughs> game that was included on the Kingdom Hearts 2.8 collection. Aqua is still in the Realm of Darkness, and it's pretty bad down there. <laughs> Heartless are everywhere, and she chases apparitions of Ventus and Terra through Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella worlds that have fallen into darkness. She notes two things. One, that no one's there, so she figures that people must have been sent to other worlds, like we're about to see happens to Sora, whom we've barely even met, uh, instead of falling into darkness along with the worlds. Two, she realizes that time is pretty weird here. She has no idea of how long she's down there. When she catches up with the Ventus and Terra apparitions, only Terra can speak with her, because he has a connection to the darkness. Ventus does not. All he's able to communicate to her before Xehanort rests control is that Xehanort has control of his body, and is trying to find out where she hid Ventus. Terra fights for control of his apparition body, while Aqua is pulled further into darkness, where she'll find Mickey Mouse. But now we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get back to Aqua and Mickey in the Realm of Darkness later. So, some stuff happens concurrently with part one of point two, <laughs> Fragmentary Passage, um, that's like sort of off screen or told later. So this is that. At some point near the beginning of Aqua's long time in the Realm of Darkness, Terranort becomes one of Ansem the Wise's apprentices himself. We read this in various lore books in the games and see flashbacks. Uh, notably, there's a lot of flashbacks in the game called Dream Drop Distance that we've talked about a few times. With Bragg jogging his memory, he is re-motivated to balance light and darkness and becomes fixated on studying darkness by creating artificial heartless. This creeps Ansem the Wise out, and Xehanort convinces the other apprentices to mutiny Ansem the Wise by throwing him into the realm of darkness. Then, they all continue their experimentation by turning themselves into Heartless. Xehanort takes on Ansem's name and his position as leader as Radiant Garden while writing what we'll later call Ansem reports. And when you hear people talk about Ansem the Wise, they refer... So when we talk about Ansem the Wise, we're talking about the original leader of Radiant Garden, who is an absolute asshole, but technically still one of the good guys. And when we talk about Ansem Seeker of Darkness, we're talking about Xehanort's Heartless, who took that name. 
And with all of that, uh, we're finally at the point where we can talk about Kingdom Hearts 1. The first game. The first The game. first game <laughs> in the series. Uh, we're third through this document. I don't know how where the episode linked is at this point because there's a lot to edit. But here we go. Kingdom Hearts 1. Remember Sora? He's all grown up now. Well, he's like 12 or some shit. Uh, he has an existential nightmare immediately when the game starts where he gets a Keyblade and fights a big dark side Heartless on a big stained glass platform called Dive to the Heart. We've seen those before uh, and is told that he is the one who will open the door. And then he wakes back up on Destiny Island. Just a normal boy, normal nightmares. He's woken up by his friend Kyrie, who you'll remember from Birth by Sleep. Uh, but she's here now on these islands because um, when Xehanort turned himself into a Heartless, he fucked Radiant Garden up so bad that uh, Kyrie's heart was sent here. Riku is also still here and still Sora's best friends, but decidedly way cooler than Sora is. The three are all working together on building a raft to go see other worlds because it's just that simple to go see other worlds. Sora goes into a secret cave on the island and draws on the wall a picture of him giving Kyrie a palpru fruit which is a fruit that they talk about, uh, and when you split it between two people, their lives become intertwined forever. <laughs> it's a big deal. Also in there, Sora sees this mysterious brown door with no handle on it or anything, uh, and he's also confronted by a weird brown-robed figure that tells him one who knows nothing can understand nothing. And he also says, this world has been connected. After this figure speaks, it completely vanishes, and Sora isn't even sure it happened. Uh, we'll later learn that this figure is the disembodied heart of Xehanort, and his heartless, which calls itself Ansem, because that's the name he took before splitting from his body. Uh, he'll do more later in this game. Kyrie later makes Sora a wayfinder, though they don't know it's called that, and this one is made out of shells, which is what they're supposed to be made out of in the legend that Aqua explained forever ago. Did we talk about that? We actually skipped over that, never mind. So the Birth by Sleep trio of kids all have different wayfinders. Um, they're just like good luck charms that sort of symbolize how their hearts are connected. Um, but now Kyrie has made one for Sora. So the next night, a storm comes into the islands and Sora rushes onto it to protect the raft. His mom says dinner's ready, but she leaves anyway. Uh, he gets there and the place is covered and heartless that he can't fight. Uh, Sora sees Riku being consumed by the darkness and Riku is convinced that this is the way he can see other worlds and it's totally fine. Uh, and Sora loves Riku so dearly that he's just going to go with him despite the darkness being super bad. In reaction to the darkness, the Keyblade summons in Sora's hand, or specifically the Kingdom Key Keyblade. We know that Riku was the one bequeathed it in Birth by Sleep, but it is drawn to the stronger heart in the moment and goes to Sora because Riku is in the darkness and Sora has a pure light of another Keyblade wielder in his heart already, the heart of Ventus, if you remember that. Riku disappears in the darkness. Sora goes back into the secret place, that cave, uh, and that door opens, blasting him back and a weird vision of Kyrie flies towards him and disappears as it touches him. Kyrie's heart is also now hiding in Sora's heart hotel, or an air key and key, if you will, to protect itself yeah. from the darkness. Uh, her body is just kind of AWOL for now, but don't worry about it. Uh, worlds falling into darkness are kind of weird, and she can't really fall into darkness because she is one of the princesses of heart. Surprise. Uh, so now outside, Sora fights another big dark side heartless, and the world is swallowed up into darkness. Have I said darkness enough yet? Nope. Well, good. Uh, so Sora wakes up uh, in a new world to Pluto, you know, Mickey's dog, uh, licking his face. He's in a world called Traverse Town, which is where people go when they don't have anywhere else to go. 
He gets beat up by Squall Leonhart from Final Fantasy, now going by the name Leon. Uh, he also meets uh, Yuffie from Final Fantasy VII and learns about the Keyblade's power. Donald and Goofy, the Disney characters, are also here looking for what Mickey told them is called the Key. It's the Keyblade. Uh, they run into Aerith from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Leon explains to Sora what the Heartless are and that they were researched by their world's leader, Ansem, which is partly true. They don't know that Ansem the Wise had his identity stolen by Xehanort, but yes, they are from Radiant Garden. Uh, Aerith tells Donald and Goofy the same story. So they all get interrupted by Heartless, and as a result, Sora, Donald, and Goofy end up fighting together, meaning that Donald and Goofy found the key. From this point forward, we'll be calling the trio the Goof Troop, or I'll just say Sora. Riku shows up, also being cool and shit, and asks to come along with them, but Donald says no because this is official business, and Riku just ghosts them and ends up getting drafted by Maleficent, who's here, and she basically says, you were replaced by a duck, look how easy it is. It was a, How's that? Feel? Yeah, it was a pretty easy draft there, kids. So the Goof Troop is also joined by Jiminy Cricket, who writes down all of their adventures in a journal. And this is extremely important. Uh, they, <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, they fly between worlds on something called a gummy ship. It's a ship made of gummies. It's what it says on the tin. Uh, so Sora goes to a bunch of Disney worlds, sealing their keyholes, which is a thing he has to do to protect them from the darkness. Uh, Heartless try and reach the metaphysical heart of each world through these keyholes and gobble them up, and will later learn that when this happens, Xehanort's Heartless, again called Ansem, is trying to get to where these gobbled up hearts go in the Dark Realm, because they will collect into a smaller copy of Kingdom Hearts that resides just behind a door between the Realm of Light and darkness. Does this make sense? I sure hope so. So this isn't the real Kingdom Hearts that we saw on Birth by Sleep that Ansem is making. Uh, so just remember that he's making a copy. Meanwhile, Maleficent gets all the Disney bad guys together to collect the princesses of heart to get to Kingdom Hearts and be all powerful herself. She already has the three princesses from Birth by Sleep, is now going after Alice from Wonderland, Jasmine from Aladdin, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, and Kyrie. She also takes advantage of Riku, obviously. Xehanort told her all of this as a way to get to Kingdom Hearts whenever he talked to her in Birth by Sleep. I don't think we see that cutscene specifically. Uh, and Ansem, the Heartless, is able to benefit from her actions later in this game. Sora is looking for his friends in these Disney worlds, but he's also making new ones. Uh, notably, Hercules and Ariel will be seen again from Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> from Hercules and, and uh, Little Mermaid. As well as when he unlocks summons of Simba and Mushu, we'll see them again. He also finds a storybook of Winnie the Pooh in Merlin's house in Traverse Town, and he's able to go inside of it and befriend all of those characters too. He also befriends Cloud from Final Fantasy VII at uh, Hercules Olympus Coliseum. Eventually, the Goof Troop get swallowed by the Disney Whale Monstro, and inside there they meet Riku again, who's being mean to Pinocchio, but they save Pinocchio, and Riku just doubles down on being evil after that. Uh, they run into Riku again on Captain Hook's pirate ship, but now Riku has found Kairi's unconscious body thanks to Maleficent. Sora can't save her yet, though, not knowing why she's unconscious, and Riku gets away to the next world, which is called Hollow Bastion. This world is the remainder of Radiant Garden before it fell to darkness, thanks to Xehanort. So Sora is now at Hollow Bastion. And Riku has gotten strong enough to rip the Keyblade away from Sora. Sora thought he was the only chosen one here, but we know that Riku can hold this thing easily thanks to Terra. It's strength of heart, not necessarily a light heart or a dark heart. So, Riku says that Sora was just the delivery boy, and Donald and Goofy go and follow Riku like assholes because they're just supposed to follow the key. 
Uh, and Sora is then joined by Beast from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, who does all the combat work in this world. Uh, Beast's heart was drawn here to save Belle. Uh, so eventually Sora catches up. Riku goes to attack Sora, but is protected by Donald and Goofy. And Sora believes in his friends that he can be fine with them and without the Keyblade. And the strength is so strong in his heart that it pulls the Keyblade back, uh, sending Riku into a further insecurity complex. Riku is then met by the same brown-robed figure that Sora saw on Destiny Islands, that disembodied heart called Ansem, and it fully possesses Riku. When this happens, Riku gains access to a special kind of Keyblade called a Keyblade of Heart that can unlock hearts. It is made out of the Disney princess's hearts that aren't Kairi. So Sora fights Maleficent, and then Ansem controlling Riku unlocks her heart with this Keyblade, and she turns into a dragon. Sora beats that too. This is when Maleficent's heart is split from her body, by the way, if you remember that. Uh, deeper in the castle, Sora finds Kairi's body, and Riku drops in, saying that Kairi's heart is in Sora, but Sora insists that Riku is never taking Kairi's heart. They fight. Sora wins. Sora knows now that Kairi is in his heart, so he takes Riku's Keyblade, knowing it can unlock people's hearts, and he pokes himself with it, and Kairi's heart is freed, along with the other princesses of heart that were stored in the Keyblade. Uh, this also clips Sora's heart and makes him a heartless, and this causes lots of complications forever. We see Riku get fully taken over, and Ansem now looks like an adult man who will be uh, calling Ansem Seeker of Darkness. He goes after Kairi now that all the hearts are in one place, but Riku can hold him back now that, I don't know, he's seen his friend die? Sora just dematerializes. Kairi runs away with Donald and Goofy. So Sora isn't a normal Heartless, of course, and finds his way back to Kairi, and Kairi can just tell it's him, and her light is so bright it saves him and he's a person again. This is a very special case of uh, a Heartless turning into a person, and it causes complications forever. Anyways, now, Ansem Seeker of Darkness is really mad, and Heartless are, are everywhere, and they're tough as shit. Uh, Sora goes back to Traverse Town with Kairi, uh, and Kairi tells Sora about her grandmother's story, which is just the story of the light and the fairy tales and living on and whatever from forever ago. Sora says that as long as he has the good luck charm she made, everything will be okay and they will be all together again after he saves Riku. Kairi wants to help, but he makes her stay because he's a dumb boy. Back to Hollow Bastion, Sora seals the keyhole and the Final Fantasies come back because this is their world and they want to rebuild it. Uh, they're still calling it Hollow Bastion though. The princesses are saved and thank Sora, but he has to fly deeper into the darkness to defeat Ansem and save Riku, and he does that. He goes to a place called the End of the World. At some point, we see Riku in the Realm of Darkness now. Uh, once Ansem got his true form, he just ditched Riku and he ended up here, I guess. Riku is guided in the Realm of Darkness by the voice of one mouse king you might recognize. Uh, so Mickey needs Riku's help to shut a big door. We'll see in a little bit. So there's just a long walk filled with Heartless. Chernabog from Fantasia is there, and at the end of it, uh, Sora gets to the remains of Destiny Islands where Ansem says a bunch of shit about darkness inside of darkness and darkness is the heart's true essence and kingdom hearts is darkness. But Sora just says shut up and beats him a bunch for a long time, uh, including when Ansem turns into a big boat. Uh, and after that, Sora wins and they're floating in the fucking void of space next to this big white door that Ansem is calling Kingdom Hearts, insisting... Kingdom Hearts is darkness. Um, so at this point, the ending of Kingdom Hearts 1 uh, takes place concurrently with sections of point two, a fragmentary passage. I'm just going to be moving between them as much as possible to make this make sense. <laughs> so if you remember how Aka was in the Dark Realm for a long time, she is still there. 
uh, she meets Mickey, who is trying to meet up with Riku. And when Mickey groups up with her, he tells Aqua that it's been 10 years since she went missing. And they fight together through the realm and end up on what's left of Destiny Islands after Sora isn't there. They fight a big horde of Heartless and Aqua helps Mickey find the Keyblade of Darkness, which is a golden version of Sora's Kingdom Key. They need this to shut the big white door. Mickey says that someone has to shut it from the side on the Realm of Darkness and the side on the Realm of Light. And Aqua says that she'll do it, but Mickey already has Riku signed up to do it. Going to meet Riku, Mickey explains this Kingdom Hearts isn't the one they have experience with, but created by the Hearts of Worlds that Ansem pulled in the darkness. Aqua sees the Heartless Horde come back. She protects Riku from them and gets blasted back into Destiny Islands herself. The Heartless also takes Mickey's shirt off. Riku doesn't notice fucking anything. We see Aqua fighting Heartless on the beach of Destiny Islands, promising to be the light and the darkness to whoever else gets lost here. Okay, so outside the door, Ansem claims that the big white door to Kingdom Hearts is darkness. Sora is convinced it's light. Uh, they roll the dice because when it opens up, light blasts Ansem away and he is finally defeated. Sora runs up to the door to shut it and is surprised to see Riku on the other side helping. Riku says, take care of Kairi. And we see Mickey hop up to shut this door for good. To shut this door for good. Riku shuts the door. Sora and Mickey lock it from opposite sides. As the worlds are going back to normal after sealing the door, Sora's heart reaches out to Kairi's as, and they talk somehow. Uh, and she says that she'll always be with him and she is teleported back to Destiny Islands, which is what happens when the worlds are reformed. Uh, we see Aqua on the beach of Destiny Islands, uh, but she does not stay with it as it reforms. She drifts back into the Dark Realm. Uh, Sora ends up in this liminal space between the light and the dark, along with Donald and Goofy, and they see Pluto ahead of them and chase after him. Back home, Kairi sees Sora's drawing of him giving her the Paupu fruit. She cries a lot, so do I. And then she finishes the image of her giving one back. And that is Kingdom Hearts 1 behind us. Poof. Now time for a good old-fashioned lore dump. <laughs> I, I, I put preface 2 in the notes, but I don't know if it's a preface if you put one 13 pages into your document. <clears throat> yeah. There are these beings called nobodies that are another large part of Kingdom Hearts lore that get introduced after Kingdom Hearts 1. They are beings that are created when a Heartless is made from someone with a strong will. They are living empty bodies with no heart. Particularly strong nobodies will still look like their somebody counterpart. We'll see a lot of nobodies created from characters we've already seen in earlier games. These strong nobodies have gathered into a group called Organization 13, led by Xemnas, who is the nobody of Xehanort, the counterpart to Ansem, Seeker of Darkness. Xemnas starts a trend with organization members of rearranging their names and adding X's to them to create new nobody names. But his is Ansem with an X because he took that name before splitting his heart from his body. He adds the X in for a minor reason that will come up later. They all wear the same kind of black cloak we saw the Master of Masters and Lushu wear, only we'll see them take their hoods down sometimes. The organization gets its 13th member when a boy named Roxas shows up. Roxas is Sora's nobody, created when Sora split his heart from his body to save Kairi. Roxas is a special case for a few reasons. One, Sora can wield the Keyblade, meaning Roxas can as well. Two, Sora had multiple hearts inside him when it happened. And three, Sora didn't stay a Heartless. Because, of one, because one of those hearts in Sora was Ventus, Roxas looks like Ventus and not Sora. Going forward, Roxas is very important. Next, we cover a game called Kingdom Hearts 358 Days Over 2, which is written in a dumb way. <laughs> I mean, the title is written in a dumb way. The game is actually written fairly well. Mm -hmm. 
Roxas has a pretty weird first week of existing. He barely has self-awareness when Xemnas meets him in the Realm of Darkness and gives Roxas his name. Roxas is basically a zombie at first, but he goes along on missions he doesn't really understand with another Organization 13 member named Axel. They become friendly. They meet every day after missions to eat sea salt ice cream on top of a clock tower in a world called Twilight Town. A 14th member named Shion joins Organization 13, and at the start, she's even more of a zombie. Roxas meets all of the members of Organization 13. First, there are a few whose history we don't already know. Demix and Luxord. Demix just likes to play his sitar, and Luxord is an asshole who plays with magic tricks. I already mentioned Axel. Remember Lee and Isa, the two friends that Ventus met in Radiant Garden? Axel is Lee's nobody, and Syx is Issa's nobody. Both are members of the organization. Axel controls fire, and Syx has moon powers. And a, a big sword. The two of them were great <laughs> friends as somebodies, and as nobodies, they plotted together to overthrow the organization. Another member is Marluxia, who controls deadly flower puddles. Remember the union leader and Strelitzia's brother, Lorium, from Unchained? Marluxia is an anagram of Lorium with an X added in. So presumably, he is the somebody uh, that Marluxia is the nobody of. We also meet Larxene with electricity powers. I'd forgive you for forgetting it since we only said it once, but in Unchained, Lorium asked a friend of Strelitzia named Elrena about Strelitzia's whereabouts. Larxene is Elrena, but with an X in it. Presumably, she is Elrena's nobody. Much of the rest of the organization are nobodies of Ansem the Wise's former apprentices. You might remember Brag from Birth by Sleep. His nobody is named Zigbar, and he has a nebulous control over space. There's some other apprentices I didn't really mention in Birth by Sleep to save time. Specifically, there's a kid named Ienzo, uh, who becomes an illusion-powered kid named Zexion as a nobody. A guy named Alias becomes an earth-powered nobody named Lexeus. A guy named Dylan becomes a wind-powered nobody named Zaldin, and a guy named Even becomes a nobody named Vexen, who can create sentient clones called replicas. In fact, the 14th member I mentioned, Shion, is one of those replicas. Neither Roxas nor Shion know that, though, and they also don't know that she is made to absorb Sora's memories by siphoning them through Roxas, Sora's nobody. Somewhat related, her appearance changes based on the observer to variations of different people connected to Sora. After another week or so, half of the organization, Zexion, Lexeus, Vexen, Larxene, and Marluxia, are sent off to Castle Oblivion, the name the Land of Departure was given after Aqua turned it into a labyrinth. This is where 358 over 2 overlaps with Chain of Memories, so I'll hand it over to Joe to cover that game. It's me again with Chain of Memories everyone's favorite game. So let's check back in with our boy Sora. While chasing after Pluto in the liminal space between light and dark, so <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, oh, I love Kingdom Hearts so much. While chasing after Pluto in the liminal space between light and dark, Sora sees a mysterious figure in a black cloak in between crossroads, and it lures him towards Castle Oblivion. That figure is Marluxia, one of the few organization members here. Marluxia explains in this castle, to find is to lose and to lose is to find, as Sora begins to forget some memories and gain other ones. Also, th this game is card-based, uh, so he gets different cards for each world that he turns the floors of the castle into as he 
quote-unquote revisits uh, projections of worlds from Kingdom Hearts 1 and doesn't remember them. Uh, Jiminy's journal is also blank, which makes forgetting stuff worse. And again, Jiminy's journal is extremely important. These rooms based on cards are fake, but Sora's memories are actually being replaced by a girl named Namine, who is a very special nobody who has powers over Sora's memories and the memories of people connected to Sora. She's the nobody of Kairi, but she's also a very special case because Kairi is a princess of heart and couldn't have a heartless to begin with. That's why she's so connected to Sora is because it happened from his body when he poked himself that one time. Namine's blonde, wears a white dress, she draws a lot. Uh, she's changing Sora's memories to replace the memory of Kairi with herself. This even includes Sora thinking that Wayfinder came from Namine. Namine isn't doing this to be evil though. She's not an evil person. She's being made to do this by the members of Organization 13 in the castle. Marluxia is the one in charge of the whole uh, event. They're trying to manipulate Sora into protecting Namine so much that he does whatever the organization wants him to do. As Sora traverses the castle, he meets a few members of Organization 13 and fights them as they say vague and confusing things to lure Sora into their trap. First he faces Axel, and then Larkscene. He wins the fight, but they leave. Riku also enters Castle Oblivion. Riku also enters Castle Oblivion, but he and Sora never cross paths. Remember, Castle Oblivion is a maze where you can't find anything just the way Aqua made it. Riku fights Vexen once, and Vexen collects data from that fight to create a replica of Riku. Vexen is a scientist here working on something called the replica program that Shion came from. And this replica Riku, who I will be referring to as Repliku for convenience, uh, fights Riku and loses. And as a result, uh, is given false memories from Namine to genuinely believe that he is the real Riku and that he grew up with Namine on the islands. This causes trouble for Sora. Repliku and Sora both have the same memory of swearing to protect Namine if a shooting star came down towards Destiny Islands when they were kids. Uh, Sora fights Axel, Larkseen, Vexen, and Repliku a few more times between the Disney worlds on different floors as his memories change more and more. Uh, meanwhile, Riku, the real Riku, is being led by a figure of Ansem Seeker of Darkness, but this isn't really him. He'll reveal who he is in a little bit. Riku is also visited by a light projection of Mickey Mouse, who can't actually come here yet, but can talk to his heart. He tells him to believe in the light. Believe in the light! And he'll come and help soon. Riku is tempted to use the darkness and, for some reason, can smell the darkness a lot, too. Riku meets and fights Lexaeus and Zexion, uh, and eventually Riku dips into the darkness to defeat Lexaeus for good. Marluxia, Axel, and Lurxene, on a higher floor of the castle, all dunk on Vexen for the replica of Riku not helping to capture Sora. This only makes Vexen upset, and he charges in to defeat Sora out of spite and to ruin Marluxia's plan to use Sora. But Marluxia says that he can't beat Sora even if he tries. Axel says if he does succeed, it will go against the organization's plan. So Marluxia reminds Axel to eliminate any traitors. Uh, Sora then runs into Vexen and is given a card for a world that is from the other side of his heart. Uh, and it is for Twilight Town, uh, referring to Roxas as nobody being the other side of his heart. Twilight Town is where Roxas has spent a lot of his time so far with the org. While there, Sora confronts Vexen, who says he remembers this place because the other side of his heart has been there, and the rest Sora has seen is fake, just like his Riku. Sora doesn't know what any of that means, but they fight. Vexen says he'll end up Marluxia's pawn, however Axel comes in and finishes Vexen off poor Marluxia's order, or at least using Marluxia's order as a cover for the act. 
Axel is acting with his own motives to overthrow the organization with Syax, if you remember, the nobody of Issa. Uh, and this isn't super clear in this game, but it does motivation but it does motivate some of his actions, mainly one later. After taking out Vexen, Larxene tells Axel that was a test to see if he could take out another member of the org, and says that taking over the organization will be easy with a group of three, because, surprise, Marluxia and Larxene are also in cahoots to overthrow the organization. If they would just unionize, this would be a lot easier. Anyways... Unionize Cross. Well, Lorium's a union leader, he should know. However, Marluxia wants Sora to finally meet Naminé, so they make a Destiny Island world for this to happen. However, Axel isn't really going along with the other two and lets Naminé get free to help Sora out of the trap. In that Destiny Island's memory world, Sora finally sees a fake memory of Naminé, but the real Naminé comes in to fix things, so he sees Kairi. Outside of the world, Naminé tries to explain things, but is cut off by Repliku, who still believes that... Uh, he's the real Riku and is going to protect Naminé from Sora. So Repliku and Sora fight, and Sora is losing before Naminé, fully in control of Repliku's brain, makes him stop and shut down entirely. Sora thinks this is the real Riku, who just now appears dead, uh, but Larxene comes in to explain that it wasn't, everything is fake, and their plan was ruined by Axel. Sora is still confused, and, but still deeply cares for Naminé, even knowing the memories were fake, and defeats Larxene, and she's gone for good now. Marluxia confronts Axel, but Axel says he's got to eliminate the traitors to the organization after all, which is now he knows Marluxia is going to overthrow them. They almost fight, but Sora runs in and Marluxia says that Axel will harm Naminé, so Sora fights Axel. Sora wins, Axel says Sora was worth saving, and then leaves alive. Sora now goes after Marluxia, who tries to get Naminé to erase Sora's memories, but she won't do it. Sora says, go ahead. I don't want anything to happen to you, Naminé. But Marluxia says he'd be useless just like the fake Riku. But then, Repliku comes back, determined to keep his promise even if he knows it's fake. A recurring theme. Marluxia is upset, summons his big scythe, and they fight. Sora wins, but it wasn't the real Marluxia, and the real Marluxia is behind a door that Sora goes into, and Marluxia fights with a big gray angel-looking thing that holds a big scythe. Sora wins, Marluxia's a goner. Afterwards, Sora talks to Repliku, who has accepted his existence as a mere imitation. Sora says he's still his own person because he does in fact exist, but Repliku just leaves. Donald asks if Naminé can fix Sora's memories, and she says yes. Forgetting memories doesn't mean they're gone. She didn't delete anything, just rearrange pieces into a new chain of memories. After she fixes it, Sora will forget everything in the castle, including her, but Sora decides he does want to go back. Jiminy writes, thank Naminé in his journal so they can remember to see her later and thank her, although they won't know who she is when they read it. They go to sleep in some big pods. Uh, Sora promises that they'll be real friends later and they won't really forget because the link will be in there somewhere. Naminé says there's another promise Sora made that will be key in remembering everything, and he has to remember Kairi for everything else to come back, and he does, and he goes to sleep for a long time. Riku is still in the castle, and Zexion tries to defeat Riku in a projection of Destiny Islands, disguising himself as Sora, but Riku wins. Zexion escapes, but Axel has recruited Repliku and turned his spite back around, now motivated to beat the real Riku and become his own person. Axel has him finish off Zexion and absorb his power. At this point, Axel is the only organization member walking away from Castle Oblivion alive. So, the real Mickey Mouse is here now. <laughs> the real Mickey Mouse is here. All rise for the real Mickey Mouse. 
Uh, so Mickey Mouse is here. He greets Riku. Mickey gives him a card that appeared to him, and it is the card for Twilight Town. Appeared to Mickey Mouse, I mean. Uh, here, Riku is alone and fights the image of Ansem Seeker of Darkness, but Riku can tell that this isn't the real Ansem Seeker of Darkness. He says that his darkness smells different. It's funny. Uh, this is where the figure reveals that he's actually a man called Diz, who D-I-Z stands for darkness in zero, and Diz has his face covered. It is revealed way later that Diz is actually Ansem the Wise, hiding his identity after he was cast away by Xehanort. He has a deep vendetta because of what Xehanort did with his research, and he takes it out on every nobody he can, believing that they should not exist. Diz tells Riku to seek out Namine, and before Riku finds her, he fights Repliku one last time. Repliku just wants to be his own person and not empty. Uh, however, the real Riku wins this fight, and Repliku drifts into the darkness. Riku continues into the mansion in Twilight Town and meets Namine. This is that sleepy pond room, and Riku sees Sora and is concerned, but Namine assures it's okay. This is a projection of the inside of the real mansion, because the sleepy pod was moved there to be safe from the organization. Namine gives Riku the choice to also have his memory rearranged, because this will seal the darkness away. Uh, but Riku decides to retain what he's done here and face the darkness for real, in the form of Ansem Seeker of Darkness. Outside of the world, back in Castle Oblivion, notably, uh, Riku sees Mickey and Diz again. Mickey feels like he knows Diz, but Diz won't say anything about who he really is. Uh, he gives Mi Mickey and Riku each a black cloak to make sure they can't be devoured by darkness or tracked by the organization. Diz gives Riku the last card of the castle to draw out the darkest part of his heart. Uh, Riku goes in and faces Ansem alone, and he wins. After this, Riku and Mickey leave wearing their cloaks. Diz stops them one last time and asks Riku if he will walk the road to light or the road to dark, but Riku says that neither suit him. He'll walk between on the road to dawn. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are going to be asleep in that pod for a full year. But meanwhile, the remaining organization members still have plans going on. That brings us back to the plot of Kingdom Hearts 358 Days Over 2. As you just learned, every organization member except for Axel, who's at Castle Oblivion, dies. And that's kind of fucked up for Roxas. While his mission partner Axel is off doing Castle Oblivion things, Roxas is partnered up with Shion. They become friends, and the two of them start eating ice cream on the clock tower too. Because of their respective connections to Sora, with Roxas being his nobody and Shion absorbing Sora's memories through Roxas, they can each wield a Keyblade. The organization is stoked about this, because the Keyblade can free Heartless's hearts, and the organization's goal is to release enough of those hearts to form a makeshift Kingdom Hearts in their home base, the world that never was. Once they do, they plan to use its power to make themselves whole people again. Way later, we'll find that at least Xemnas and Zigbar have a different ulterior motive for doing this, but don't worry about it now. They keep sending Roxas and Shion off to defeat Heartless so they can gather up hearts. Axel comes back after the events of Chain of Memories, and now the three of them start eating sea salt ice cream on the clock tower after missions. They all become friends, but Axel is a little creeped out by Shion because he knows that she's a replica. Saix starts to get really jealous that his would-be co-conspirator, Axel, is hanging out with Roxas and Shion more and more. As a result, Saix and Axel grow distant and give up on their overthrow plans. In my opinion, Saix's actions totally read as romantic jealousy. A lot of people's opinion, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Roxas starts to have memory flashes of Sora's life, and he tries to investigate, but no one answers his questions. 
This is a result of Sora's memories being rearranged by Namine, and because those memories are being siphoned through Roxas to Shion. Meanwhile, Riku is working with Diz to try and get all of Sora's memories back. The two find out about Shion, and realize that Sora isn't going to wake up unless he regains the memories that Shion has siphoned off. Riku and Shion meet, and Riku requests that Shion return with him to fuse with Sora, returning his memories. She does not. She goes AWOL for a bit, trying to figure shit out. Saix and Xemnas assign Axel and Zigbar to get her back, dead or alive, seeing her as a threat to their plans if she isn't loyal. This, understandably, puts a strain on Axel, Roxas, and Shion's friendship. Axel wants to bring back Shion so things can be just like the way they were before, Shion is contemplating returning to Sora, and Roxas doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Poor boy. Axel captures Shion and brings her back to Xemnas, who messes with her mind, since she's a replica. This causes her to briefly look like Sora, turn into a big monster, and try to absorb Roxas, making the two of them too strong to ever get Sora's memories out. This would mean Sora would never wake up. Roxas defeats the Shion monster, and she turns back into her normal form briefly, and has a moment of lucidity in his arms. She tells him to stop Xemnas' plan by setting their artificial Kingdom Hearts free. Then, she fades out of existence, the closest thing Kingdom Hearts has to character death, usually. Because she was a replica main of memories, once she fades away, everyone's memories of her start to fade, too. Roxas rushes to free Kingdom Hearts before he forgets her, but encounters Riku along the way. Riku calls Roxas out on having no idea how the fuck to actually set Kingdom Hearts free, and asks Roxas to go with him to rejoin with Sora so Sora can do it. Roxas refuses, insisting that he is his own person, and so is Shion, whose name he now has a real tough time remembering. The two fight, and Roxas seems to be winning, when Riku resorts to using the darkness in his heart to defeat Roxas. This changes Riku's appearance, making him look like Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, who was the darkness in his heart for so long. Everyone forgets about Shion, and Riku takes Roxas to Diz, who begins the process of transferring Sora's memories from Roxas back to Sora. He does this by placing Roxas in a digital version of Twilight Town, and giving Roxas false memories of a nice life in a nice little town. After a week, Sora's memories in Roxas will all be sent back to Sora. And that brings us to Kingdom Hearts 2, which opens up uh, famously with a long section of playing as Roxas. So, Roxas wakes up and is excited to enjoy the last seven days of his summer vacation. Having forgotten everything of his life with the organization, he just enjoys being a kid with his friends, Hainer, Pince, and Olette. However, every waking moment of his life is torture because he's in a simulation of Twilight Town created by Diz. He goes about his life normally but keeps having dreams about Sora because as Sora gets his memories back, Roxas is feeling things too. Diz again is still being assisted by Riku, who has now begun posing as Ansem Seeker of Darkness, now that he has been taken over, and he looks like Ansem. Uh, Diz knows better and finds it funny, uh, in a sad way, and Roxas tries to go to the beach once, uh, raises money to do it, but Riku takes Roxas's money because there is no beach in Data Twilight Town. Riku also asks if he can feel Sora. Some low-level nobodies get into the Data world, and Roxas chases after them and is able to summon the Keyblade, unsure of what it is or why. Nothing really phases him, or at least he doesn't show it. The next time nobodies attack, he hears Namine's voice telling him to use the Keyblade. When he tries, he finds himself on a stained glass circle of Sora and fights a very large nobody, and after he defeats it, he falls into the darkness, but is saved by Namine, who asks if he remembers his true name. 
Riku comes in and stops this, and Roxas goes back to the town square. Uh, Roxas and Hayner then, on another day, enter a tournament for a game called Struggle. Uh, Roxas fights Cypher from Final Fantasy VIII, who has been bullying Roxas the whole game. Uh, and during a match, time stops, and Roxas is confronted by Axel, who is trying to bring him back to the organization after the events of the last game, knowing Roxas had his memories wiped. Diz stops this and boots Axel out of the world for now. Roxas also screams in existential horror, understandably. After the game of Struggle, Roxas gets a trophy with four gems on it, and he shares it with his friends in the clock tower. Each of his friends gets one, they hold them up to the sun, but when Roxas stands up, he slips and falls off the clock tower. While he's falling, we see kind of two scenes at once. We switch to see Kyrie on the mainland part of Destiny Islands. She talks about her friends and the boys that she misses, Riku and someone else that she can't remember the name of right now. The friend she's with doesn't remember the other boy. Kyrie is sure that there's someone, but we know people don't remember Sora because of what Naminé is doing with his memories. While falling, Roxas's heart reaches out to Naminé's, but instead it gets Kyrie, who is thinking of Sora. She says that her name is Kyrie, and Roxas recognizes that name as the girl he likes, and Kyrie says, who is he? And Roxas says Roxas, uh, but she wants to know the boy's name. And then we hear Sora's voice enter this fucking heart Skype call, and she he picks on Kyrie for not remembering his name. He says, like, it starts with an S, and Kyrie then wakes up. She had passed out in this event, and she runs to the shore and puts a letter in a bottle, sure that it will eventually get to the boy, whatever his name is, and then she says the name. Axel is ordered to eliminate Roxas by Zimnus, but by now you probably know that this is kind of sad for Axel. Uh, Roxas investigates the mansion uh, and ends up communicating with Naminé and seeing a vision of her room. She mentions that he and Axel were best friends once and also explains how she's working on Sora's memories and that's why he has the dreams. Sora can't be whole without Roxas. She isn't sure why she has the power she has or if there's a good way to use it. She says that Roxas was never supposed to exist and he doesn't know what that means but it sounds mean. So this whole time Sora has been remembering the events of Kingdom Hearts 1, but the memories that Sora have stop at Castle Oblivion. Roxas also remembers some things from the organization in these dreams, mainly his fight with Riku. When he wakes up, the world seems to exist without him. Uh, no one can see him and they walk through him like a ghost, uh, and then Axel shows up to bring him back, and Roxas tries to pretend he remembers things and says, we're best friends, and Axel seems really excited about this, like things are going to be back to normal, but tests him and says, what's our boss's name, and realizes that Roxas doesn't actually remember. Diz then stops time in the simulation again and sends Roxas to the mansion. At the mansion, Roxas talks to Naminé again, asking what will happen to him, uh, and she can't answer because Diz is an asshole, comes in and stops their conversation, but Naminé assures that he won't disappear. She says, we'll meet again, even if we don't know it's we're each other. Uh, deeper in the mansion, Roxas has to fight Axel and summon two Keyblades. Uh, Roxas wins, but Axel is still alive and leaves. Roxas continues deeper in the mansion, finds Sora's sleepy pod, but Diz shows up and is an asshole to him for a while, telling him to share that anger with Sora. Roxas insists that his heart belongs to him, but then the pod opens and Roxas' summer vacation is over. So now that Roxas has rejoined Sora, Sora has come home. And boy, has he outgrown his clothes. The Goof Troop are confused why the journal just says thank Naminé and they don't know where they are, but they're happy to be together. They walk around town, uh, they meet Hayner, Pinson, Olette, and Sora is unsure why it feels familiar. 
They're also met by King Mickey, still wearing his black cloak, and he gives Sora the money pouch stolen from Roxas. And it also has the blue gem Roxas had from the trophy. I promise these details matter later. I'm so sorry to be so pedantic. Uh, Sora assumes that if he saw Mickey, then Riku should also be somewhere to be found. So that's Sora's goal now. Mickey says to take the weird purple train, and they do. Uh, Hainer, Pence, and Olette see them off, and Olette notices the money pouch is the same that she has. They leave. We see Riku with Axel and Namine. He's supposed to finish them off per Diz's orders, but he lets them leave. Uh, they don't know where to go. Uh, so the train takes the Goof Troop to Yin Sid's tower. It's weird that Donald and Goofy don't recognize it, but regardless, they're stopped by Pete out front, who works for Maleficent. She is coming back, but Sora isn't worried because he beat her in the last game. Or two games ago. Wait, three games ago. <laughs> Up in the tower, they meet Yin Sid, who explains nobodies and the organization to the Goof Troop. Uh, he also tells Sora to open keyholes to travel between worlds because he closed them all off in Kingdom Hearts 1. He also needs new clothes, and the three fairies from Sleeping Beauty make them and a bunch of new belts that can transform. Uh, now, it's time for Sora to go to Disney World and look for his friends and fight baddies, right? Well, they stop at Hollow Bastion first. Uh, Sora reconnects with Leon, Yuffie, and the rest of the gang as they try and rebuild their old home. At some point in Hollow Bastion, the Heartless try and get Winnie the Pooh's book from Merlin's house, and Sora stops it, but the book is torn up. He'll find the missing pages over the rest of the game and reconnect with his friends in the Hundred Acre Wood. Uh, also, on their first visit, Sora is confronted by the remaining members of Organization 13. He doesn't see any of their faces, though. They all laugh at him and leave, but Zigbar stays behind to taunt Sora, and he says, Oopsie-daisy, and as if... And also refers to Roxas giving him the same look before he left the organization. Uh, he leaves and Sora unlocks a keyhole before he goes to more worlds. He reconnects with Beast at his castle, helps Mushu and Mulan save China or some shit, and then he goes to hell because Hercules was too busy. Sora also meets Demix in hell, who tells Roxas to come back, uh, which just confuses Sora. Uh, Sora also vi visits Disney Castle and helps Minnie out, only to see Maleficent is back and trying to take this castle for her own. Uh, Minnie says to get Merlin to help with the darkness, and he does, and they go to a past version of the world saying that something is happening there. Sora goes back, stops Pete in the past, it's fine. At some point, Axel shows back up on Destiny Islands from a darkness portal to kidnap Kairi to lure and trap Sora so he can get Roxas back. When Axel came from the world that never was, for some reason Pluto was there, he's just running between dimensions. Uh, and Pluto followed through that portal. Axel's plan doesn't really work, though, because Riku makes a darkness portal of his own off-screen, and Kairi runs into that. Or rather, she follows Pluto into that, and she ends up in Twilight Town and meets Hainer and the gang. Sora also visits other Disney worlds, meets Simba again in the Pride Lands. He goes to Port Royal for the first time and becomes friends with Jack Sparrow. And after this, he goes to Twilight Town and he meets Syax. For the first time. Syax says he's looking for Axel, and the goof troop mercilessly dunk on Syax, who completely deserves it. Syax leaves. Cypher gives Goofy the trophy from the struggle game, saying that it goes to the strongest person in town. Pence runs up after this and asks if Sora knows someone named Kyrie, and hell yeah, he does. By the time Sora is back, Kyrie has been kidnapped for real this time by Axel. After Sora learns this, he yells about saving Kyrie and scares Goofy, and he drops the trophy, and all the gems pop off and roll to Hainer, Pence, and Olette. Sora picks up the fourth one, and they hold it up to the sun, just like Roxas did. Then Goofy remembers the one that he has in the money pouch, and he holds it up to the sun as well. Donald is left out. Uh, this is weird because there should only be four of these in the world, but again, it'll come up later. I'm so sorry. Uh, Sora leaves for now. 
Next, Sora goes back to Hollow Bastion and sees Cloud again, who is angsty about Sephiroth. Aerith is here and tells Cloud that she's cheering for him. Sora also meets Yuna, Riku, and Pain from Final Fantasy X-2, but they're very tiny fairies working for Maleficent. Not super important, but they show up a few times. Sora helps Leon and friends find Ansem the Wise's old computer in the old Hollow Bastion castle, and Sora accidentally goes inside of it because Stitch from Lilo and shows up and makes Donald mad, so he gets some keys. God. Stitch was also met by the trio in Birth by Sleep, but we skipped over Disney stuff then. It might be relevant in three. I don't know. Inside, Sora and the gang, the goof troop, befriend a Tron, or technically a program based on Tron, because this whole world is a copy of the original one that Ansem the Wise made. Sora needs a password, so he comes out to get it, finds some writing behind a painting that says Door to Darkness, and then behind them, King Mickey has joined them, and he introduces himself by saying, Say, fellas, did somebody mention the Door to Darkness? Sora then finds out the password is the name of the seven princesses because that's what opens the door to darkness. And he helps Tron and gets the town's defense system back up and running. Outside, Sora learns that Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, was the heartless of Xehanort, and Mickey is looking for the real Ansem, Ansem the Wise. Goofy connects the dots that there should be a nobody too, and Mickey says, yep, that's Xemnas, leading the organization. Sora asks Mickey where Riku is, but he can't tell him anything yet, or rather told Riku he wouldn't, but he doesn't tell Sora the truth about that. Sora mentions Kairi is kidnapped, and Mickey says that he's gotta go help Goof Troop now, but he doesn't, because now this world is fucking under attack. Maleficent is sending Heartless after Sora, and a bunch of nobodies are here with the organization. Outside, Mickey tells Sora to leave, but he doesn't. He ends up fighting, and he completely defeats Dimmix this time. So that's another organization member gone. We see Zimnus go into a, the computer room of the castle after everybody leaves, and he goes down to a really uh, deep chamber that's hidden. He goes to a room called the Chamber of Repose, where he talks to Aqua's armor, which is still there from when it was saved a million years ago. He wants to know where Ventus is, for what it's worth. After this, Mickey comes over to Sora. After this, Mickey comes over to Sora, and while talking, a boulder flies at them, and Goofy pushes Mickey out of the way, and this kills Goofy. We will now honor Goofy with the following moment of silence. Mickey says, they'll pay for this, and charges off to fight Heartless. <laughs> Sora and Donald do so as well. After fighting more Heartless, Sora is rejoined by Goofy, who is back. It's fine. He gets hit on the head all the time, he says. They see Xemnas above the ravine, and Mickey remembers the name Xehanort was attached to a young apprentice that Ansem the Wise had. Mickey runs after him. Sora fights a thousand Heartless. And after that, Sora catches up with Mickey and Xemnas. Sora asks where Kairi and Riku are. But Zimnus says he doesn't know any Kairi, and Mickey knows where Riku is. He leaves in a dark portal, but Mickey follows. Axel arrives and says that Sora has fallen right into the organization's trap, and that they are collecting hearts that the Keyblade releases from the Heartless to make their own version of Kingdom Hearts. Sora asks where Kairi is. Axel says he's sorry about that. Sure, okay. Uh, Sayak shows up. Axel runs away because he's scared of his ex-boyfriend. Sora asks for Kairi back and begs on his knees, but Sayak says no. He tells him to direct that anger at the Heartless because that's what they want Sora to do. Maleficent shows up and helps Sora get away, but makes sure that he knows they're not on the same side. Sora ends up in a weird realm of darkness, and uh, they find a blue box with two things inside, a sea salt ice cream and a picture of Hainer, Pence, Olette, and Roxas, which was taken from the Dad of Twilight Town. 
He isn't sure why he knows Roxas's name, but when he sees the face, he says, Roxas. This box was put here by Riku. Sora unlocks a keyhole and then leaves. Uh, Sora doesn't know what to do without using the keyblade, but Goofy assures him it's better to stop the Heartless than not. They just have to stop Organization 13 and it'll be fine. So Sora revisits some Disney worlds. In the Mulan world, he runs into a cloaked figure that he thinks is Riku, and he is right about it, but he tries to follow that figure and ends up chasing a different cloaked figure who ends up being Zigbar. He fights a big dragon and leaves. He fights Zaldan at Beast's castle and finishes him off. He meets Luxord, the worst member, at Port Royal, the Pirates of the Caribbean world. And Sora fights him, but Luxord lives on, unfortunately. Sora revisits the other worlds, including the Colosseum, which gets destroyed by the Hydra, but, you know, maybe it'll be fine. Uh, Sora even gives Tron another visit and helps him defeat and replace the MCP. After Tron does this, he puts some big sparklers up in the sky or something, and everyone remembers that this place used to be called Radiant Garden. So Sora goes back to Twilight Town, uh, and at the mansion, he sees Hainer and the gang got beat up by some nobodies. They were looking for Kyrie. The kids propose that there's an alternate Twilight Town because they saw the money pouch that was made by Olette, and there's only one of, and the crystals there should only be one of as well. Sora doesn't understand, but maybe Kyrie's there, so he'll go with it. More nobodies attack, but Mickey comes in to help. So everyone goes into the mansion to find the portal into the Data Twilight Town. Uh, Mickey and the Goof Troop find a portal to the Dark Realm here, and they also find a realm in between the Dark and Light Realms, which is a weird gray hallway hyperbolic time chamber thing. Sora fights a lot of Heartless here, and he's getting outnumbered, but Axel comes in to help and uh, ends up fighting so hard that he fades away. Axel tells Sora that he's sorry about everything he did and to go save Kyrie from the organization. Sora asks why he did it, and Axel says he just wanted to see Roxas again. Roxas made him feel like he had a heart, and Sora kind of does too, after all. He says that Kyrie's in the castle dungeon, and he fades away. Sora follows this portal to the organization's world, the world that never was. Uh, Mickey is here for a second, still with them, but he runs ahead. The Roxas in Sora's heart is getting restless after seeing Axel fade away, and Sora goes into his heart and fights Roxas. But Sora does win, and the result is sad. Now back with the Goof Troop, they walk to a dead end across from the castle. Uh, Sora points his keyblade out, and a light shoots from it, making a bridge to the castle. We see Syax visit Kairi in a cell, and he says that she's just bait for Sora. But after Syax leaves, a dark portal appears in her cell, and it's Naminé, here to save her. They're running outside, and is stopped by Syax again, but Riku shows up and saves them. Uh, Naminé calls him by his name, and Kairi wants to see Riku, but when he takes his hood off, he still looks like Ansem Seeker of Darkness, but she trusts that it's Riku. Sora is in a big hall now, and Syax appears and taunts him about Kairi, and tells him to look up through a big window, and he can see the big heart-shaped moon forming the kingdom hearts that Zimnus has been trying to make. Syax summons more Heartless for Sora to fight, and he's unsure about it, but Kairi runs in on a higher level of this big room, uh, and Sora is attacked by Heartless distracted. Kairi dives down to help, but is still on another level above him and is attacked herself, but Riku saves her and also gives her a keyblade that he got from, uh... Anyways, they all fight Heartless. Syax sees Maleficent and Pete are here too, and he leaves. Maleficent wants the castle for herself. She helps Sora again later, but it's unimportant. Uh, we see Mickey outside save Diz, who finally reveals that he's Ansem the Wise. He has a big, dumb-looking gun that he'll use later. He tells Mickey a bunch of backstory about Riku. 
Back inside, Sora fights Zigbar and wins. Uh, so that's Zigbar gone. He heads upstairs, finally reconnects with Kairi after so long. Riku tries to leave, but Sora thanks him, calling him Ansem from the first game, and says, thanks for helping Kairi. She stops Riku from leaving and calls him Riku. Riku tries to say that he's no one, but Kairi makes all the three of them touch hands, and Sora's heart recognizes Riku's heart, and he cries a lot after being with his friends again. Sora says he's still Riku no matter what he looks like. So Ansem the Wise sets up his dumb gun to shoot the moon and turn Kingdom Hearts into data. Uh, <laughs> since we're doing the games in chronological order, this is kind of par for the course. Sora keeps traveling up the castle, defeats Luxord and Syax for good before reaching the top. This just leaves Zemnis. He gets to where Ansem the Wise is and his dumb gun is about to explode because why the fuck did he think this plan would work? More like Ansem the Fool. Bam. Ansem says it's up to Sora now and apologizes to Roxas, even though what he's doing is only making things worse. Uh, Xemnas appears to dunk on Ansem with the rest of us. Uh, the gun explodes, and in a bright flash when it disappears, Ansem is gone, and Riku looks like he should again. Just a normal boy. Granted, he looks older, and his hair is long. He throws off his cloak, wearing normal clothes now. They continue to face Xemnas once and for all, and they do that. For some reason, Kairi isn't fighting alongside with her Keyblade anymore, so it's Sora, Mickey, and Riku who all have Keyblades. They fight Xemnas a bunch, and they win, and after they think they've won, Riku tries to open a dark portal, but he can't do that anymore. Uh, but Namine does it for them. Uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, and Pluto all run in and leave. Kairi and Sora talk to Namine, and Namine starts talking to Roxas. They're happy to see each other again, uh, and they see each other how they remember each other. So when Sora sees Kairi, Roxas is in there seeing Namine. Uh, they're together whenever Sora and Kairi are together. Kairi leaves in the portal, but before Sora and Riku do as well, it closes and the castle starts to fall. A big nobody dragon attacks them, and they fight on a flying jet thing i don't know man uh they fight it uh and on its head there's a big shoot of armor that they fight and after a bunch more fighting uh they end up fighting Zimnis himself one final time in a weird white dimension of nothingness Oof, jrpgs after they win riku is exhausted and sora helps him walk with his arm over his shoulder and they walk towards a light and eventually find themselves on a shore called the dark margin they sit on the beach for a while and they're content to be in the darkness if they're together after a while a bottle watches up on shore riku reads it and hands it to sora it's the letter that Kairi wrote I don't know, 20 minutes ago? 20 minutes ago in this yeah. podcast. <laughs> a long time in yeah. the world of this universe. Yeah. She, she put it on the shore beginning of the game. So after reading it and how she says, there are many worlds, but they share one sky, one destiny, a door of light appears in front of Sora and Riku and they go through it together. They find themselves in a different body of water and they are back with their friends at Destiny Islands. And that is the end of the story of Kingdom Hearts 2. Now it's time for Kingdom Hearts Recoded. There was a game called Kingdom Hearts Coded that came out on mobile devices that was exclusive to Japan, and the DS remake was called Kingdom Hearts Recoded. Who boy, this one. <laughs> Here we go. Jiminy is still really sad that the journal from Kingdom Hearts 1 got deleted to only say, thank Nomine. When he goes to look at it longingly, he sees a message he didn't write. It says, their hurting will be mended when you return to end it. That's weird. So he asks Mickey for help. Mickey figures that they can upload the book to a computer to see if they can figure it out and maybe even get some of its contents back. Like how if you delete a file from a hard drive, you can sometimes get it back with a recovery tool provided that part of the physical disk hasn't been overwritten yet. I like to think of it like it's that. It's funny because like 
technically that does make it make more sense, but there's definitely a number of people mm -hmm. who that makes it more confusing. <laughs> when they upload the journal, they find the contents of Kingdom Hearts 1, but it's corrupted by bugs, computer glitches that take the form of menacing red and black cubes <laughs> in order to wipe out the bugs in hopes... I love Recoded Dog. <laughs> They hope that wiping out the bugs will make sense of the mystery message and clear up all the Kingdom Hearts 1 data. So Mickey, Jiminy, Donald, Goofy, Chip, and Dale, the rescue rangers, work with the journal's digital version of Sora, Data Sora, who can destroy the bugs from the inside. This isn't the real Sora, it's just the data of Sora that's in Jiminy's journal from Kingdom Hearts 1. Along the way, Data Sora keeps encountering a black cloaked figure who is enigmatic but mostly helpful. Mickey, Jiminy, Donald, Goofy, Chip, and Dale find themselves sucked into the computer and encounter the cloaked figure themselves. The figure takes off his hood and looks just like Riku. He's not Riku, though. He's actually the digital embodiment of the entire journal that picked Riku's appearance as an avatar. We'll just call him Data Riku, though, since most people do. Maleficent and Pete, never missing an opportunity to take over some worlds, stumble into the journal while snooping around Disney Castle. At first, they think these worlds are real but are still happy to take them over, even when they found out they're just data. Pete stuffs Data Riku so full of bugs that Pete can control him and forces him to fight Data Sora. Data Sora wins, and Data Riku is unconscious. The only way to wake him up is to enter into Data Riku's data and kill all the bugs there. Technically, this means Data Sora is diving into a digital copy of the journal from within a digital copy of the journal. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> It's fine. The emotional beats land, I promise. <laughs> there, Data Sora defeats a lot of bugs and rehabilitates Data Riku. Mickey, leaving the journal with his pals, finds out that once the journal reboots, it'll be completely reset, meaning Data Sora won't remember any of this, and Maleficent and Pete will vanish from existence. Even though they suck, Data Sora doesn't like that, and tries to save Maleficent and Pete by sending them out of the journal. His attempt is halted by real Sora's Heartless from Kingdom Hearts 1, which has been hiding in the data, growing stronger and stronger. Data Sora defeats the Heartless, and Maleficent and Pete escape. Maleficent and Pete get thrown into a darkness passage. Maleficent and Pete get thrown into a darkness passageway in the real world. And all this journal world bullshit makes Maleficent remember about the Book of Prophecies from Union Cross that Xehanort told her about. She tells Pete, hey, we should go find that. Presumably, this encourages her to go back in time. Once the journal is rebooted and wiped, Mickey sees that there is now more data available. Since the journal was wiped, Data Sora doesn't remember Mickey, but still goes with him when Mickey goes back into the data. They go into the data of Castle Oblivion, where Roxas's data teaches Data Sora that even if you forget someone, the sadness inherent in the forgetting doesn't go away. Having learned this lesson, Data Sora and Mickey press on where they find Data Namine deep within the castle. She explains a bunch of stuff. First, that the bugs are the result of her fucking with Sora's memories after Chain of Memories. Second, that she wrote the message about their hurting will be mended when you return to end it. Uh, she was referring to Ventus, Terra, and Aqua, uh, who she believes can only be saved by Sora. Third, she reveals she owns connection with Sora to Mickey and Data Sora. Data Sora says trans right. I mean, thanks Namine. <laughs> Mickey leaves the journal and writes Sora a message in a bottle, explaining Ventus, Terra, Aqua, Roxas, and Shion. That's the end of Recoded. Now, remember a million years ago, I talked about how there was a secret movie to Birth by Sleep called Blank Points that takes place in a bunch of different parts in the timeline. We're going to go back to that here. Aqua 
is still in the realm of darkness, and she gets to the beach at the dark margin and finds a black-cloaked figure of Ansem the Wise sitting there. She's sad about her friends, and Ansem says she reminds him of Sora, who might be able to set everything right. He hid all the data of his research inside Sora, like a fucking weirdo. Aqua believes in Sora. In the post-credits scene from Kingdom Hearts 2, we see Sora and Riku together on the Papu tree, and Kairi runs up with a letter in a bottle, and this letter has the king's Mickey Mouse stamp on it. At the end of Blank Points, we see that Sora has read this letter from Mickey and decides to go see him like he's asked. So this takes us now to Dream Drop Distance, a game that we have referred to a couple times. And before I actually talk about it, the epilogue of Recoded has Yin Sid talking to Mickey. Uh, Mickey says that they have a lead of where Ventus's heart might be after all these years, and that just leaves finding Terra. Yin Sid explains that defeating a heartless and a nobody for the same person will allow the original person to come back, meaning Xehanort will return. Mickey insists that he can handle it with Sora and Riku, but Yin Sid asks how the three of them would fare against more than one of Xehanort. If you haven't already buckled up at this point, this is the time. Yin Sid says to summon Sora and Riku to take the Mark of Mastery exam. And now, in Dream Drop Distance proper, Sora and Riku are at Yin Sid's tower to take the Mark of Mastery exam. He tells them the story of the Keyblade War and the Keyblade and how it shattered into seven lights and 13 darknesses. And also, now they have to save the three friends of Mickey's from Birth by Sleep. Sora and Riku also have to prove themselves to be Keylade Masters to be prepared for the battle to come, but this isn't what the test is normally like. If you remember Birth by Sleep, he is giving them a different task for different reasons. Sora and Riku are tasked with diving into Sleeping Worlds, which are worlds that were lost to darkness but not restored at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1 for some reason, uh, leaving them in a weird limbo. The worlds are also dreaming, which is to say that if you go into the world while it's asleep, you're actually seeing its dream, which is a constant loop of the events that happened before falling to darkness. A world's dream can include people who left that world too. Yin Sid tasks them with unlocking seven sleeping keyholes to bring the worlds back and to master new powers, most notably the power to awaken a sleeping heart. Yin Sid sends them back to Destiny Islands right before it fell to darkness, which for some reason counts as a sleeping keyhole even though the world did eventually come back. This should lead them to the other sleeping worlds and their goals. They're also told about dream eaters, how they work, and how they're used in these worlds. However, this immediately goes wrong. Uh, Xehanort planned for this and the brown-robed figure, the heart of Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, is also here on this island with them, uh, and marks Sora with a sigil that allows him to be tracked. It's a big X. It's called the Recusance Sigil. There's a big X on his clothes. Uh, Xehanort can track things with this sigil, which is why the organization members all have Xs in their names. Yes, really. So, sensing that Sora is in danger, Riku, without realizing it, dives into Sora's dreams, becoming a dream eater himself, and he experiences things differently than Sora as a result. How was Ansem's heart there at the exact moment in time, though? Remember when I explained time travel in Union Cross? Well, Dream Drop Distance is what introduced time travel to the series, and it's all over this game. So let me add on to that definition of time travel. To time travel, you must separate your body from your heart, and you can return to places and times that you were at. Additionally, when that disembodied heart makes contact with a past version of its body, it can move that body through time as well. To use the plot of this game as an example, the disembodied heart of Xehanort, which is Ansem's heart from Kingdom Hearts 1, travels back to a much younger Xehanort and moves him forward to be present in Dream Drop Distance. I really hope you're following. 
So the moved bodies can't travel themselves with the heart's help. And when they return to their own time, they won't remember what they experienced while time traveling. That is an important caveat. So all this to say, Xehanort's heart, the heart of Ansem, represented by the brown robe, appeared at the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 1 specifically so it could be in the sleeping world right now and set up a trap for Sora. This isn't the most absurd thing I'm going to tell you about this game. Sora goes through the sleeping worlds and Riku goes through Sora's dreams, thinking he's also in the sleeping worlds. And they're each visited by the aforementioned young master Xehanort. They don't know who he is, uh, and he's joined by some nice folks they do know. Uh, when visiting Sora, young Xehanort is joined by Xemnas, and when visiting Riku, he is joined by Ansem Seeker of Darkness. Those characters were defeated, uh, but brought forward in time by the disembodied heart. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> In Between Worlds, we see the members of Organization 13 start to wake up as real people again in the computer room of Anson the Wise, which is where they returned into Heartless. They're now reformed, just like Ian Sid said what happened to Xehanort. The secret movie after Recoded shows young Master Xehanort wake up Brag first and pick someone to join the organization as they leave, and that person is Issa, or Syax. Their names are kind of interchangeable at this point in the story. So the next we see of this room in Dream Drop Distance is where Lee, formerly Axel, wakes up. He notices that Issa isn't here, nor Xehanort or Bragg. He talks to Ienzo about the other apprentices who are missing, but they should be here since uh, this world is available for them. If it wasn't available, they would be in Traverse Town. Dylan, Alias, Evan, and Ienzo are accounted for. The others didn't appear here. Also, Maleficent is still fighting to be relevant by kidnapping Minnie Mouse. She sends a raven to tell Mickey, and he, Donald, and Goofy return to Disney Castle to save her. Maleficent expresses her desire to use the data of worlds for her own gain, but Lee swoops in to save Minnie, and then Maleficent leaves for now. He also tells Yin Sid he wants to use a keyblade and join their side, and Donald says, fuck no, you're not going to do that, but he's going to do that. Mickey and Yin Sid piece together that Xehanort could have been on Destiny Islands, to at the time that Yin Sid sent Sora and Riku, and Mickey decides to go after and help. So after sealing all of those keyholes, Xehanort's trap comes into fruition, where Sora should be back in the Realm of Light, but is in the world that never was instead. Uh, he's stopped by Zigbar, and it's implied that after waking up, he turns into a nobody again willfully, and I'll explain why in a little bit. First, Sora is knocked unconscious into a second dream so now Riku is in the world that never was as well, or at least Sora's dream of it. He runs through the castle and finds Sora sleeping. In Sora's dream, we see young master Xehanort explain that he was talked to by a future version of himself and set all this up to work. Sora ends up alone in his dream and sees several people who are connected to his heart. Some are actually in there. He sees Namine, Shion, who he doesn't recognize, and Roxas. Outside, Riku fights some dark enemy guarding Sora and goes another layer deeper into his dream. Once he's there, he's talked to by the voice of Ansem Seeker of Darkness, who tells him he's in a dream within a dream because he went into Sora's dream twice. <laughs> Sora, in his double-level bad dream, sees visions of Riku and Kairi that change into visions of Terra and Aqua, and his own body looks like Ventus briefly. At this point, he sees a quick memory of when he met Aqua very young, but then Ansem Seeker of Darkness appears in the vision and knocks him away from the vision and awake. So a layer up, so to speak. So he's now back with Zigbar. Sora explains that he feels what Roxas felt, and he knows that nobodies did get their hearts back with time. 
Zimnish shows up and explains that this is very true. Sora asks why he lied to the organization, and Zigbar explains that the organization was formed specifically to collect people worthy of being vessels for Xehanort. So let me explain. Xehanort's goal... (laughs) Xehanort's goal in making Organization 13 was to fill the ranks of what can be called real Organization 13. And this organization is filled with 13 Xehanorts. Yes, really. He wanted to hook these beings without hearts up to Kingdom Hearts, the one that Zimnus was making, and use that power to fill each vessel with the same heart and mind of Xehanort. And now we have an organization with his old self, his young self, his heartless, his nobody, maybe another one, who knows. But this task is only doable by finding vessels, beings that don't already have hearts, Uh, that he can fill with his own. The original Organization 13 didn't work because they got hearts back eventually. It took too long to make Kingdom Hearts. So Zigbar went back to being a nobody so he could be a vessel now, and he makes it clear to Sora that he's already half Xehanort. So Zigbar leaves, Sora fights Xemnas, and he gets so tuckered out that young Master Xehanort is able to take him to be Xehanort's final vessel meaning he has the first 12. So meanwhile, Riku is fighting Ansem Seeker of Darkness. Uh, After he wins, he repeats what Terra told him, that the Keyblade is strength to protect what matters. Riku continues looking for Sora and reaches the round room eventually. That's the name of the big uh, circle room that has all of the thrones, 13 thrones that people sit in. I think this is the first time it's come up, actually. Uh, We've seen it a few times. Riku reaches that room, finds Sora, but is stopped by young Xehanort, who explains all of this plot to him as well. Uh, Mickey Mouse joins in uh, and helps Riku fight, but young Xehanort and Riku fight alone. After this, he and Mickey see old master Xehanort come back from Birth by Sleep, and he explains his actions up to this point, saying his attempt to make the Keyblade was rash and not the ideal way to get what he wants. Uh, The clashing of 13 darknesses and 7 lights is inevitable and will give him what he wants. The Keyblade. Whoops. Not redoing that. Uh, He's about to fill Sora with his heart and unite the 13 darknesses, but Lee rushes in and saves Sora. He's attacked by Isa, or maybe Syax, that guy, uh, and Mickey and Riku deal with Ansem and Xemnas, and then Donald and Goofy drop in and, like, sort of help. So Old Master Xehanort says their time is out for now, but they will see each other again at the faded place, the Keyblade Graveyard. Back at Yen Sid's tower, Sora is asleep still. Um, after all of that, Riku was able to gain the power to awaken Sora's heart, but only Sora's. Sora's heart is currently in the deepest darkness. Riku goes in, but Sora's heart is protected by a phantom of Ventus's Keyblade armor. Presumably, Ventus's heart reached out so Sora's heart wouldn't fall deeper. After shattering this armor, Sora drifts down into the darkness after all, but Riku follows in to the deepest depths of Sora's heart, and it looks like Destiny Islands. Uh, Once he's there, he talks to three people, uh, Roxas, Ventus, and Shion. He thinks Ventus is Roxas, and he doesn't remember Shion, but it happens anyway. After telling them what's important to him, a bottle washes up on shore, and he is told by Ansem the Wise, who put himself and his data here, that the bottle is the data that he stored here. And Riku takes it, uh, Sora's heart is strong, so strong that he regained himself without destroying his nobody. Because of this, uh, he might be able to recover all the other lost hearts. Anson the Wise also says that Sora is awake now, and Riku goes back up to greet them. Now that Sora is okay, 
Yin Sid addresses the exam. He's glad that they're okay, but in the end, only one showed the mark of mastery, and this is Riku. He is now a Keyblade Master. Lee says he'll be right behind him and summons his Keyblade. Uh, Yin Sid has also begun training for Kairi to wield a Keyblade. Sora goes back to Traverse Town one last time to hug all of his Dream Eater spirit friends. And that concludes Dream Job Distance. One final small section. This is the last part in the chronological timeline. This is an epilogue that's tacked on to Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep 0.2, A Fragmentary Passage. Back in Yen Sid's tower, Mickey tells Riku and Kairi the story of Aqua being in the Dark Realm and saving Riku. And Riku asks Mickey why he'd ever told him. Yen Sid says he instructed Mickey to keep quiet, otherwise Riku or Sora might attempt to rescue her way before they were ready. Yen Sid believes that the time is now, and sends Riku and Mickey off to save Aqua. Yen Sid also instructs Kairi to train under Merlin, alongside her new classmate, Lee. It's kind of fucked up if you think about the shit Axel did to Kairi in Kingdom Hearts 2. Sora gets back from hugging every Dream Eater. Yen Sid instructs Sora to master the art of recovering hearts, but he'll have to start from square one, since almost becoming Xehanort means he lost all of his abilities. He sends Sora off with Donald and Goofy to Olympus Coliseum to train with Hercules. The end. That takes us to Kingdom Hearts 3. Holy shit. Not only did that take twice as long as I thought it would, um, nope, that's, that's the end of my thought. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm incapable of saying anything else at this point. Um, holy shit. You can find us on Twitter at <laughs> twitter.com slash memorizecast. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash memorizecast. Um, if you, if this helped you in some way, give me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I already thanked everybody at the top of this episode, but again, thank you all for listening. Our theme music is a remix of Dearly Beloved by Leg Day, courtesy of Game Chops. You can find our Discord server in the pinned tweet on Twitter. And in the show notes, it'll be in there too. What else? We're hosted uh, on the Orange Groves Podcast Network. You can check more of the shows out at theorangegroves.com. I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash thetravisw. I'm on Twitter at ghostofjoe, ghostofjo. I'm on another podcast called Very Random Encounters. It's a tabletop role-playing actual play show where my friends and I randomly determine as many elements as is possible. I'm on a bunch of podcasts uh, that you can find on the Orange Groves, but I'm going to plug Bed Bath & Bionicle, a show where my friend Riley wakes me up to explain Bionicle lore to me first thing in the morning. I mention it. We've been, we've been taking a couple weeks off, but someone mailed me Bionicle parts um, because they like that show. And holy shit, <laughs> what the fuck is my life? But yes. I believe that's all the things uh, that we plug. So thank you again, everybody. This has been Kingdom Hearts, the story so far. We will see you on the other side. Got, Got it. it. Memorized. We were together.
Welcome to Very Random Encounters, where we play tabletop RPGs and randomly determine as much as possible. Remember playing with Legos and swapping the people's heads and limbs to create horrid abominations that God forgot? Our show is what it would be like if those rejected attempts at the human form had to go out and save the day. We turn the nonsense into a story with a nice message, like how friendship is stronger than a mind-controlled goblin jazz band. Hey, that's a thing that really happened. Find Very Random Encounters wherever you randomly determine to listen to podcasts.